Well, football season is just around the corner. That means a lot of fun and excitement. Um, Many of you who really enjoy football and perhaps have advanced beyond actually getting out on the field and putting on the pads and going at it, um, probably maybe even advanced past a casual game of flag football, um, but you really love the game, maybe you've tried fantasy football. You uh, have gotten some friends together and you've started your league, you've picked your roster week after week, you've decided who's going to start and, and how, uh, how it's going to go. And as the, as the season goes on, you see if you're successful, if your friends are successful. Um, fantasy football can, can be a lot of fun. I had a friend who, uh, I've got a friend who's really a fanatic when it comes to all the fantasy leagues. I mean, he gets into it. It's a big deal. And, uh, but when we talk about fantasy football, we, we know something in reality. It's just fantasy. It's not really football, right? I mean, if you think about it, if you're going to play football, you're out in the middle of the August heat running and working out and running plays, and you're sweating like crazy. You're lifting weights, and you're getting out there on the field, and you're playing the game. So fantasy football is something about football, but it's not actually football. Now, sometimes the word fantasy can apply in a lot of different areas. In fact, the word fantasy could describe someone's faith. We're actually the the lack thereof. And so that's the question that we're going to think about together today. Is my faith fantasy or is it real? That's exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 7. We'll be... uh, Beginning in verse 21, Jesus is exploring this idea of what is genuine faith and what is fantasy faith or, or pretend faith. As we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen that Jesus talks about and teaches about what it means to be his follower. If you follow me, then this is how you live. And we'll see this idea of living out our faith played out in today's verses as we look at Two claims, those who claim to follow Jesus and really do, and those who claim to follow him and really don't. Let's look together at Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This passage pushes us to consider whether or not we really know Jesus. So this morning, that's what I want every single one of us to be wrestling with. Consider whether or not you really know Him. You really have a relationship with Him. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Look in verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now, Jesus is looking forward to judgment day. He's looking forward to the day that we will stand before Him. And what we see in verse 21 is that not everyone is going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven 
is here and now for those who know Jesus. When you turn from your sin and you put your faith in Jesus, you come under the rule of God. And you become a part of the kingdom of heaven. One day, the kingdom of heaven will be consummated or it will be drawn to to its fullness. And all things will be made right. And if you know God, you'll enter into the kingdom of heaven. You'll, You'll know heaven in all its fullness and all its grandness. So what Jesus is saying is this. Not everyone's going to be there. Not everyone is a part of the kingdom of heaven. So right off, Jesus says again, and he's already said this previously in the Sermon on the Mount, a few verses back, but right off, Jesus says that universalism is false. Universalism is the idea that everyone ultimately saved. Everyone's going to be okay. Just, you know, before death or maybe even after death, everything is going to be fine. Everybody will be saved. Jesus rejects that. Not everyone will be a part of the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says clearly. Those words ought to haunt us. They ought to make us think. It's possible that when I die, I won't be a part of the kingdom of heaven. We have this tendency in our culture. It's a strange tendency. Everyone is an atheist. And then when someone dies, we always say, well, they're in a better place. And I understand the desire to say that. But this passage tells us that not everyone is in a better place. And we'd like to, to play games with the text, but it's clear we, we don't have the room to do that. And so Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord. Now, think about that. So he says, on judgment day, there's going to pe- be people who, who called me Lord, Lord. Who were false professors. That is, they claimed to know Jesus, but, but it wasn't real. They, they knew his name, that's clear. They called him Lord, implying that they respected him as the Savior. But in reality, their open confession of Jesus was just empty words. Now, do you remember being in junior high and saying some really silly stuff? Really, you don't have to go all the way back to junior high, do you? Most of us are pretty good at that on a regular basis, so junior hires don't be offended. We we, uh, we still say silly stuff as adults, but you remember being in junior high, and maybe you were crushing this girl. There was this girl that you had an interest in, and you said, you know what? I'm going to love her forever. And now you think back to junior high, and you think, what was her last name? I can't remember. And it's as if those words, they didn't really mean anything, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. You said, Lord, Lord, but they were just words. They didn't really mean anything at all. So he says here in verse 21, who is it that says, Lord, Lord, who really is going to be a part of the kingdom? Who are the true professors of faith? And he says, those who are really my followers, who are really going to enter the kingdom of heaven, are the ones who do the will of my Father. So he says, you can say, we called you Lord, Lord, what's going to reveal that that's true in your life is that you obeyed my Father, that you did His will, that you followed after Him and did what He said. In Luke 6, 46, when Jesus is teaching about a similar topic, He says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It doesn't add up. You call me Lord, Lord, then your life should be a life of obedience. Now, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 19, Jesus said, that whoever does God's commands will be called great in the kingdom. Whoever does them, whoever obeys his commands. In the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, what did Jesus teach, teach us to pray? In this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 16, he said, 
our Father in heaven, your will be done. In other words, let us obey you. Let us do what you want us to do. In John 8, 31, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. What does it mean to abide in his word? It means that you obey his word. If you obey my word, then you're really my disciples. You're really my followers. Jesus' brother James wrote in James 2, 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's dead. So real faith in Christ results in a changed life, results in a life that's different. It leads to a life of obedience. Now, my boy, turned four uh, a while back, is always asking me, Daddy, is that real? We'll see something, and he'll say, Daddy, is that real? Is that real? Is that real? I I get the question all the time. And, you know, he saw a fake gun the other day. He's like, Daddy, is is that real? Is that a real gun? And he understands that some things are decoration or that some things are pretend. And what we see here is that some faith can be pretend, that some faith can merely be decoration or decorum. But faith that is real changes our lives. Faith that is real changes us from the inside out. So the question for us today is this, is your faith real? Is it real? Is it changing you from the inside out? Is it affecting how you live day to day all of the time? Look in verse 22. Jesus says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Again, that day is looking forward to the day of judgment, to the day after we die and we stand before him. Now in Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11, we see the time of judgment. In verse 11, Revelation 20, the Bible says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So here again, Jesus teaches that hell is a reality. Somehow we want a God who who won't judge sin and evil. And yet in real life, none of us would would, would want that. Would we want someone to say, you know what Adolf Hitler did was great. What's happening in Syria now? Fantastic. No, we want a God who executes justice. We want a God who's righteous. And the Bible tells us that God is righteous, that he's holy. That he's pure. And because of that, he can't overlook our sin. He can't just ignore our sin and say, well, sin is no big deal. Don't worry about it. Come on in. Live as you please. Do what you want. High five. It's all good. No, that's a perversion of the character of God. The nature of God is purity. And to ignore sin is to compromise his very nature. So God will not ignore our sin. And Jesus' words make it plain here. He will judge sin. These are words that need to echo in our heart. He will judge our sin. 
and a judgment. Many people are going to say to him, Lord, Lord. But their profession, it's a facade. It's, it's fantasy. They were empty words that didn't really change the person's life and day-to-day living. Now, some of these people who stood before him were very likely even self-deceived. Maybe some of them really believed that they had gotten things squared away with God. A sort of self-deception, if you will. So what do they say to him? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we speak your words publicly? We spoke for you, God. We spoke in your name, Jesus. And didn't we cast out demons in your name, Jesus? Didn't we perform exorcisms? Weren't we concerned about the people who were oppressed? Weren't we active in mercy ministry, trying to see those who were oppressed by demonic forces being released? God, we were, we were active in that. We, we cared about it. We did it in your name. And didn't we do mighty works in your name? We performed spectacular miracles in your name. And what does Jesus say to all of these folks? I didn't know you. Who, who are you? And yet they were calling him Lord, Lord. And yet they were doing these mighty acts of mercy. And yet they were serving and involved in religious activity and had powerful spiritual experience. And yet the Lord Jesus could say to them, I never knew you. How? How could he say that? In reality, their faith was all about those things. But it wasn't about a life of true discipleship, a life of genuine repentance, of turning away from sin and living in the mundane of life, a faithful life, a life that was being shaped and changed by the grace of God. They had never truly turned to Him in faith. Well, wait a minute. How could that be true? They were, they were doing exorcisms. They, they, they were doing that. They, they were doing miracles. It could be that some of their claims were false. It also could be that, that they were working by Satan's own power. In Matthew 24, 24, Jesus taught that false prophets would come and they would perform great signs and wonders. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, Paul warned of Satan empowering false signs. So just because we've had some powerful spiritual experience and just because we've done some religious activity or service, none of these things, please hear me, none of these things are going to cut it at judgment day. We've had this silly idea that we will stand before the Lord and there will be scales there. And over here on this side of the scale is going to be piled up our good deeds and over here on this side of the scale is going to be piled up our bad deeds. And we think, and I think it's a silly thought, we think that our good will outweigh our bad. And I'm not sure that's always true. We can be pretty ornery folk. But we think somehow our good is going to outweigh our bad and Jesus is going to say, oh, you made it. Come in. That's crazy. That's ludicrous. That's not how a person is saved. We're not saved because we're good. We're saved because we've turned from our sin and repentance and put our faith in the Lord Jesus. And then when that happens, yeah, our life begins to change. Our life begins to take a different shape. It's not that we're perfect overnight you've been around any Christian for any length of time, including yourself, you know that's not the case. We still struggle with sin. But there's a change. There's a difference. Didn't we prophesy in your name? 
Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do great miracles in your name? Jesus says, I, I didn't know you. Who are you? Maybe you've seen the show uh, America's Got Talent. There are singers and dancers and musicians, comedians, all sorts of performers. And they perform and they face celebrity judges. And not just that, they, they face audience input. When you go on America's Got Talent, you're going to face judgment. You're, you're going to face standing before people and they're going to they're kick you off or you're going to win that million bucks or, or whatever it is. The scripture is clear. We will stand before Jesus as a holy judge. And whatever act or show we've done, whatever performance we've put on, none of those are going to matter unless there's been genuine repentance and faith in Christ. So our spiritual experiences, our religious activities, none of that, none of that's going to cut it before a holy judge. So whatever sort of religious experience or 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 spiritual experience you've had, if there hasn't been a genuine repentance, a turning away from your sin, and a placing your faith in Jesus, if that hasn't happened, you will not stand on Judgment Day. That's what Jesus is saying here very clearly. So what does fantasy faith look like? Well, fantasy faith could look like this. It could look like someone saying, Jesus is Lord. I'm making that profession. That's exactly what these people said. Lord, Lord. It could look like someone speaking publicly about Jesus. They did. They prophesied in his name. It could look like mercy ministry and other forms of religious activity. It it could look like spectacular experiences that that were allegedly empowered by God himself. Yet Jesus said, fantasy, it's all fantasy. It's not connected to true faith. So a lot of religious talk, a lot of religious activity, a lot of religious experience... But what was missing was heartfelt repentance and a life of obedience. One pastor said it this way, the confession of these folks concerned only their lips, but not their life. Their confession concerned only their lips, but not their life. You see, they talked a good talk, but their lives weren't marked by true obedience to Jesus. The kind of changed life that's revealed when the heart's been changed. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, Paul warned of people who would have the appearance of godliness, but were anything but. In 1 John 2, 19, John spoke of those with fantasy faith. He said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. James 2, 19 reminds us that even demons believe in God. They, they believe in Him. That simply saying, I believe in God, is not going to cut it at judgment. Maybe you've been driving out on one of these hot summer days and in the distance on the highway up ahead it looked as if there was water going over the road or maybe you've traveled through the desert. You've had the experience of of looking out into the desert and seeing what looked like a lake. And then as you get closer and you're traveling on that highway and you get closer to what looked like water or you're traveling in the desert and you get closer to what looked like a lake, what you discover is there's no water there. It was merely a mirage. It looked like water. 
but it wasn't. And you see, what is happening in this passage is that a lot of their activity looked like faith. It looked real. But in reality, it was just a mirage. So in verse 23, Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't know of these people who stood before him. Of course he did. He's God. He knows all things. But what he's saying is, I didn't know you as one of my people. You you weren't one of my followers. Now, in the Old Testament, the word know is often used to describe intimacy between a husband and a wife. A husband knew his wife. There was a deep intimacy there. And God would often use that same word to describe his relationship with his people. He knew them. He knew them intimately. He knew them closely. And Nahum 1.7 is an example of this. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. He's close to, to his people. He knows them intimately, closely, personally. And here Jesus is saying, sure, I knew of you, but I did not know you. There was no relationship. A lot of talk. No relationship. And so he says, you were never one of my people. Now, Jesus' words here, interestingly enough, underscore another important truth of the faith, and that is this, we cannot lose our salvation. Once we belong to God, he'll never, ever let us go. Notice he doesn't say, I knew you, then you dropped the ball, and now I don't. What does he say? He says, I never knew you. You were never one of mine. So so here we recognize that once we come to know Jesus, truly, we're always in his hands, thank God, because we came to know him based on his righteousness. We'll continue to know him based on his righteousness, not our own. So he says, depart from me. Jesus will not receive into heaven those who haven't turned from their sin and put their faith in him. He will not. In Mark 1.15, Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. What does repent mean? It means that I'm making a turn. Repent means, you know what, I'm doing life my way. But I'm going to turn Jesus and I'm going to do life your way. I'm going to follow you. And if you haven't repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus... You will not stand on the day of judgment. You got you to believe in Jesus. What did Jesus do? He left heaven and he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. And then he was nailed to the, to the cross. He suffered and died. And what he did is he took God's wrath upon himself for our sin. All of the, the sinful stuff that you and I have done, instead of overlooking it or winking at it, God brought judgment upon it. And the judgment he placed upon his own son because of his great love for you. And Jesus was buried. And God raised him from the dead and brought him back to life. That that death might be conquered. That our sin might be conquered. That we might have forgiveness for our sin. That we might become a member of the kingdom of heaven and one day spend eternity with him. See, that's the gospel. But when when we turn from our sin and believe in him... Our lives are characterized by a desire to follow, by a desire for 
obedience. Look at what he says at the end of verse 23. You workers of lawlessness. If you look at the, the Greek, the tense here in the Greek is an ongoing action. This is an habitual part of who these people are. In other words, these people didn't just drop the ball on occasion. These folks were living sinfully. They were gladly living in sin. Habitually, if you will. He said, you, you lived like that and you weren't mine. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 6, says this, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. What is John saying here? John is saying that when a person comes to know Jesus, their life changes. They begin to walk with the Lord. They begin to make different decisions. They begin to treat people differently. Lives are marked by integrity, those kinds of things. So a person who claims to follow Jesus, but who keeps on sinning, may well be deceiving himself. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9, says it like this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What's he saying? He's saying, and you could add any number of sins there. That's just a list that, that's kind of meant to, to represent all kinds of sins. If you live this kind of lifestyle, you're not a follower of Christ. That's what he's saying. If it's different than stumbling and falling and sinning and wanting to change. We'll talk more about that in a moment. A person who lives in habitual sin gives evidence that they aren't true followers of Jesus. So, five quick things to think about regarding this passage. Number one, religious people who do not truly know Jesus will go to hell. Religious people who do not truly know Jesus will go to hell. These are people who confess to knowing. Maybe they walk the front of the, the uh, walk to the front of the uh, aisle at, at a church. At church one time, they, they made that confession, but it wasn't real. Maybe they've had religious activity. They're baptized when they were when they were younger, or went through confirmation, or walked walked an aisle. Maybe there was religious service. They cared for people and even served in the church. Maybe there was some powerful spiritual experience. None of these things are determinative here, according to this passage. It's possible to be religious and not know Jesus. Number two, it is possible to know a lot about Jesus and still not know him. It's possible to know a lot about him, but still not know him. In Hebrews 6, 5, the author speaks of people who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and yet are not his followers. So it's possible to have been very involved in church It's possible to know a lot about God's Word. It's possible to have had incredible spiritual experiences and yet still not genuinely know Jesus. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're running a race. You're running your heart out, and there is the finish line. You're about to go through the finish line. You're running 
running, you've been pressing hard, giving your all, and you get to the finish line and you stop before you ever cross the finish line. That can happen spiritually. We can get so close, but never genuinely repent and put our faith in Jesus. There's a danger here. There's a danger. It's possible to know a lot about Jesus and still not know him. Number three, some people will deceive themselves about their salvation. Some people are going to deceive themselves about their salvation. They're going to claim to really know Jesus for for one reason or another. Perhaps they've had some powerful spiritual experience or they've been a part of an exorcism or whatever you could come up with. And they say, well, how could this experience have happened if God hadn't empowered it and used me? Clearly, I'm his child. Well, clearly what Jesus says here is that day in and day out obedience is what marks his followers, not necessarily some powerful spiritual experience. Now, have you ever been around someone who lied enough that they really came to the place that they didn't know what the truth was? They, like, they had lost sight of the truth. They had lied enough that they had no idea what the truth was, not fun conversations to have. But this can happen spiritually, where we kind of lie to ourselves enough that we come to believe that we're good when we're not, when we need to have done business with God and we need to have made things right with God. So what is real faith? Well, fourth, obedience is the real mark of a genuine believer. Obedience is the real mark of a genuine believer. Now, our believers going to sin. Of course we're going to sin. Every one of us are going to sin. Jesus knew this. In Matthew 6, 12, Jesus taught his disciples to ask for forgiveness. Why? Because we all sin. True believers disobey God. But the difference between an unbeliever and a true believer is this. When we disobey, a true believer has a heaviness of heart that brings them to the place where eventually they say to God, I'm sorry, I was wrong. But an unbeliever is able to keep living there and to stay there. A true believer comes to the point where you say, God, I surrender. I'm guilty. Forgive me. Now, Paul wrestled with his own sinfulness. If you've read Romans 7, you know that. Romans seven nineteen says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Haven't you felt that battle where, where you knew this is what you should do, this is what you should say, this is what you should think, this is what you ought to do, but yet there was a part of you that just wanted to... When that battle is there, there's good evidence the Spirit is at work in your heart. There's evidence that you belong to Him because a person who's not a believer doesn't feel that same tension. So Paul struggled with sin, and, and as believers, we're going to struggle with sin. The question is... Are we struggling with it? If you're not struggling with sin, even if you've done some churchy thing in the past, there's a good reason to believe that you may not be a true believer. If you're happy to live in sin, if you're happy to say, I don't really care, I'll do what I want, that's that's danger. It could be that you're, you're in dangerous territory. So, Jesus says, True faith is marked by obedience. If you know Jesus, you're going to want to live in a way that pleases Him. 
you may be able to rebel against them for a while. I've seen believers, and, 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 and you have too, and had experiences in our own lives where, where for a period of time you've kind of done your own thing. You've stepped outside of what God wanted you to do. But if you belong to him, you get back. You come to the place where you say, God, I'm, I'm going my own path. I don't want that anymore. God, I want to come back. I want to get things right. There's a sense in which you've got to get back on the road if you belong to him. You've got to get back into obedience if you belong to him. Now, some of you are believers here today, and you're just exactly where I was just talking about. You're, you're, you're a believer. You've truly put your faith in Christ. You've repented of your sins, but you've started kind of kind of getting on your own path and saying, you know what, I'll just live it how I want to live it. I know I ought to go there. I know I ought to do that. I know this. I'll, I'll just do what I want for a while. He, I'll take a vacation for just a little while spiritually. You know what God's word to you is? Get back on track. Get back in a life of obedience if, if that's you, you can get things right today. If you've harbored bitterness, maybe you've grabbed a hold of bitterness, someone did you wrong, and you have just stewed on it, maybe for years, and you could rehearse everything they had done. They did this, and they did that, and this person did this, and that person did that, and you could just rehearse it. If you belong to Jesus, you're not supposed to live there. You're supposed to forgive if you've gotten off track and you've allowed bitterness to eat you up or unforgiveness to eat you up today, get back on track if you belong to him. If you've allowed lust and impurity to, 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 to take over in your heart and in your mind and you belong to Jesus, today, get, get back on track today. Say to, say to the Lord, I don't want to go there, Lord. I don't want to look at those things. I don't want to think like that. I belong to you. Help me to have a pure heart. Help me, to, help me to go in the right direction. If you've allowed anger to get a hold of you so that you lash out at people, probably lashing out at the people you love the most. Today, if you belong to him, get back on track. Let, let today be a new day, a fresh start. Maybe worry and fear have, have gotten a hold of you and you live your life. I'm worried about this and I'm scared of that and this could happen and that could happen. And you belong to Jesus. You're not supposed to live fearful. You're supposed to rest in him. So today, you could make a change. You could make a change. How do you make a change? You say to Jesus, you know what? I'm guilty. I'm surrender. I've been living this way. And I know what your word says. I don't want to live there anymore. Please forgive me. And God, do whatever it takes to help me get on the right path. God, whatever it takes, I want to follow you. It takes that kind of desire for obedience. And then find a mature believer who can walk with you. Get, get an, a believer that you know who's, who's faithful and strong and, and let them help you uh, and, and walk with you through that. So obedience is the mark of true faith. Not perfect obedience, but an, a lifestyle that's characterized by obedience. Fifth, judgment is coming. Judgment's coming. You see, Christians are going to stand before the Lord and we'll be judged for how we live. We'll be rewarded for our faithfulness. If you want to read more about that, look in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. But unbelievers are going to stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment. And if there hasn't been true repentance and faith in Christ, the words that you'll hear are this. Depart from me. I never knew you. Now this morning, I don't know where you're at. I plead with you 
If you're not sure today, would you, would you get sure? Today, would you make sure that when you stand before the Lord Jesus, you don't hear those words? Will, will you do what it takes this morning to, to get things right with God so that when you stand before Him on that day, you don't hear, depart from me? Those are damnable words and there's no reason for a person in this room to hear those words. Every person in this room of age can turn from their sin and believe in Jesus. And we don't have to play games. We don't have to do fantasy faith. We can have the real thing. The kind that's marked by a life of obedience and and change, even if it's slow change. I plead with you, be ready. Be ready. Suppose you're taking a trip out to the Caribbean. And maybe you're flying southwest. I don't even know if southwest flies to the Caribbean, but let's just suppose it does. You're standing in line waiting to board. As you make your way uh, to board, the employee there at the the, uh, counter says, hey, do you have your pass? You pull out your phone or your paper ticket. They scan it. They say to you, it's not legitimate. It's it's not legitimate. You, You can't board. Let's suppose that you really thought that you had a legitimate ticket. You went through the process you thought, and you thought everything was good. You're trying to get things figured out. What's going on? I thought I'd pay for this. I thought everything was good. Meanwhile, the flight takes off. The, the, the flight takes off. Some of you today, unless you make some changes, are going to stand before the Lord at judgment. And you're going to have thought everything was together. I was good. I was a decent person. But the Lord's going to say to you, no. No. It's not going to work out for you. But what if every one of us in this room this morning, what if every one of us got our lives right with Jesus? What if every one of us who wasn't sure we made sure we, we cried out to God and said, God, I want to repent and I want to follow you. I believe in Jesus. Imagine that. What, what an incredible day today would be. And even more important, what an incredible day it would be when you stood before Jesus. So this morning, will you do business with God? Will you not leave this place until you're sure, until you're certain that you would hear him say, come in, I knew you. You were one of mine. And believers, if you're here today and you know you've kind of gotten off track, I've kind of let other things become more important, I've kind of ignored my walk with him, today would you hear the Lord saying to you, come on, let's go. Let's get things right. Let's respond to the Lord. Not with a maybe, not with a one of these days, but let's respond to the Lord this morning with a yes, yes, Lord. No more excuses, no more games. Yes, Lord. Let's pray.